If you guys want to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. Might even get into a little bit of chapter 6, if, if you're lucky. So, um, <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 5. And we've just been, uh, obviously, five chapters into 1 Samuel and just seeing God take... Uh, God take the nation of Israel through a, a time of transition, a time of change. And last week, we saw that uh, there was a battle between Israel, one of Israel's opponents, uh, the, the Philistines. And we see that Israel trusted uh, superstitious rituals and and uh, and and use God more of a more as a uh, lucky charm than he did, or than they than they actually did putting their trust into God. And we see that they they pay for that. God kind of allows them to be defeated by the Philistines, and in the process, a lot of Israelites die. Uh, but also, the Ark of the Covenant uh, gets captured in battle. And the Ark of the Covenant, if you guys don't know, it's. Just, golden box uh, that the Israelites would bring around. It's supposed to represent the presence of God. And uh, and at some point in time, the Israelites started to get things wrong. And, and instead of trusting the God of the ark, they trusted in the ark more than they trusted in, in God and, and, and in God's plans. They weren't walking with God. And we see right at the end of chapter four, <clears throat> after the ark's been captured, the priests have uh, the priests have died, fulfilling a promise that God had made to Samuel uh, that the priests that were corrupt uh, were going to perish. They were they were being judged by God. Uh, we see these things happen, and then we see a, a young woman give birth to a a son and uh, name him Ichabod and, and basically says that she's naming him that because that means the glory of God has departed. So the Israelites are in this position thinking that, uh, that God has departed from them. The glory of God has departed from them. God may be trying to or God may have been trying to show them that they had lost their way, that they've turned their back on God. But despite what the Israelites thought or how they felt after losing, uh, God hadn't left them. And we're going to see that today. Um, God was doing something behind the scenes that they couldn't see. The ark left, but they didn't know what God was about to do. Hey, Matt. Thanks. <clears throat> they, didn't, they couldn't see what was happening behind the scenes. They couldn't see what God was doing with the Ark of the Covenant uh, in the Philistines' possession. All they could focus on was that we lost this battle. God's not with us anymore. What are we going to do? And sometimes in life, it can feel like God has abandoned us. Sometimes it feels like maybe we're just not worthy anymore uh, or you just feel defeated that we're just not worthy to be in God's presence anymore. Or maybe something's happened in our life where, where we just feel like, man, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like God's here anymore. 
But we're going to really see again in 1 Samuel chapter 5, that's not really the case. We're going to actually see that God had not departed Israel. And in fact, God's going to show grace and mercy towards Israel and bring back the Ark of the Covenant and, and really show uh, the Philistines and the Philistines' uh, pagan god uh, lesson on, along the way. So three things as we jump into our text this morning, uh, just about God's qualities and, and character. God's, we're going to see God's power over idols. We're going to see God's authority over those who oppose him. And then we're going to see God's mercy and grace uh, towards us, towards his people. And so let's jump right into it. We're going to be uh, point one. If you guys are note takers, if you guys want to jot things down, we're going to see in this first part of First Samuel that we're going to see God has power over idols. Verse one says, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So there they took Dagon and set it, or, and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left. Therefore, neither of the priests of Dagon nor any who had come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So kind of a funny story here of this, uh, of this pagan god named Dagon. And Dagon, and I told you guys I wasn't going to make any Dagon jokes today, but uh, that name's just too good. The name's just too good not to... Not to at least, I mean, make a couple. Maybe I'll spare you. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But we see Israel again. Israel uses the Ark of the Covenant as kind of this lucky charm out on the battlefield before this. And, the, and they say, surely we're not going to lose this battle if the Ark of the Covenant is here. And again, we see they didn't really rely on God. They weren't praying. They weren't asking God to come to their assistance. They were just hoping that the lucky box that represents the presence of God was going to fix their problems and that God wasn't going to let that box happen. We've also seen in our text through 1 Samuel that God is willing uh, to do things kind of out of the expected, right? God's willing to turn things upside down. God's willing uh, if it's his will to do things that don't always make sense to us. And we see that as he raises up uh, a child named Samuel, not part of the priest lineage to take over uh, the priesthood, something that hadn't been done, something that the lineage of the priesthood had stayed in the family of Aaron the entire time. And God just simply says, well, it's not working anymore, so I'm going to change it. Nobody expected that. Nobody expected them to use Samuel as a prophet, something that wasn't uh, happening a lot. People weren't hearing from God. Our scripture said that. But God was using this little boy Samuel to get things done. And did so in a miraculous way through uh, letting uh, 
Samuel's mother conceived Samuel. We just see this pattern over and over again. God's willing to just do the unexpected sometimes when, when it's for his will. And in this case, he let the ark be captured. So the Israelites were using it as a lucky charm. Now we see the Philistines uh, using it as, as a trophy. They put it on display next to their, do- their god, Dagon. <clears throat> you go through, the Bible talks about Dagon in a few different places, talks about uh, Samson the judge and, and how uh, Samson kind of destroys the temple of Dagon. Um, but what literature there is on Dagon uh, describes him as part man and part fish. I don't know if that's like, I mean, like, I don't know if he's like mermaid man or, or if he's more like a, like, I don't, for some reason, I, like if you guys have kids like Luca, like a sea, sea monster, I don't know. Describes this, uh, this pagan God as part man, part fish. It says Dagon was worshiped by the Philistines uh, for being a God of fertility and remember that is a god of fertility associated with uh, uh, fertility uh, crops, just bringing bringing good numbers um, uh, as far as crops and uh, harvests and grain and, and and just fertility in general. And we can kind of paint this picture as we read the text here, right? The Philistines are excited. They think they've done something to defeat the mighty God of Israel. They think that their God, Dagon, had led them to victory over Israel. And they've got this trophy now to prove it. They've got this gold case. The pre- they've got Israel's God. And they say, here, Dagon, we're going to give this to you for helping us win. We're going to put it on display next to you. I'm sure they're excited, right? You can just see. They're excited. They're like the Oregon Ducks when they think that they've beaten the Beavers when the Beavers are also just a better team. I know, thank you. Somebody's booing, somebody's clapping. It's fine. Um, But they're celebrating. They're excited. They think they've just got one over on Israel. And imagine the look on their faces the next morning when they come out to find that their God, Dagon, face down on the ground, right next to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, one time, that they could maybe wreck that up to coincidence. I think it's funny. You guys go through this whole picture, and you can kind of see these things go through, but if you really read it, Everything's so calculated. That's what I love about God. That's what I love about this story. It's so calculated. Um, The way it says that he fell on his face in kind of a manner of like worship. When you fall on your face and and worship, that's how Dagon fell, right at the, the base of the Ark of the Covenant. The position where Dagon was submitting to, to the God of Israel. I just imagine what the look on their faces were when they came out there and went, well, what happened? Coming up with excuses as to why it is that their statue fell down. 
But they prop Dagon back up. Make him look good again. Probably just own it up to the wind or, I don't know, an earthquake or something, you know. Probably just some lame excuse as to why he fell over. Just to come back out the next day and see that he'd fallen over again. Uh, and this time his hands and his head had been broken off from his body. Again, some symbolism there in that like hands were often what people associated with power. And for his hands to be cut off just shows that he didn't have any power. His head cut off. That, that sends a, a pretty, uh, pretty clear sign that that happened. So he's fallen over again. And, and again, he's, he's in pieces this time. He's broken. I want you to focus on verse five for a second, though. It says, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Did you guys notice that verse? It says, or um, these priests, they start seeing the, so, you know, two times. That's, they're, they're, they're not thinking it's a coincidence anymore. They're not thinking it's the wind anymore. These priests are onto something. They know. They've seen the superior, superiority of God. And right in this moment, the Philistine priests uh, essentially had a choice they could make. They could have chosen to, to say, wow, the Israel God clearly has power over over our God, over our pagan God. Or they can just continue to reject God. They can continue to look at the evidence right in front of their face and just reject God despite the evidence, despite that God twice now had caused their God to fall over on its side, to break into pieces. Why is that? Why is that that the Philistine priest would choose to just go, not only that, but you see that they just said, we're not even going to go in there anymore. We're not even going to deal with that anymore. Uh, we're just going to make a new religious rule that uh, we just don't enter the threshold of Dagon anymore. But why is that? Do we see that sometimes in our lives? Following God takes, or following God takes a change in how we live and how we think. And often change is hard. People are unwilling to make changes. People don't like change. People don't like to give up the things that, that they enjoy, even if they see the problems in them, even if they see something that goes, yeah, this is enjoyable, but I, I can also see it's pretty problematic for me. We can see that kind of stuff in our lives and, and still just go, yeah, I'm still just going to do it. <laughs> I understand. I see the evidence, but I'm still just going to do it. It was easier for the priests to just glue the pagan god Dagon back together, prop him back up. 
Just pretend like nothing happened. Pretend like God didn't just wreck their, their pagan God twice. I think there's a lot of that happening in our society right now. A lot of people that just see evidence of God everywhere they turn. They can see it. They can see the goodness going on around them. But yet they're so stuck on not wanting to make change. They're so stuck on what, what they've, their, their statue, their Dagon, whatever that may be to them that they're just unwilling to accept that truth. They're saying, I want the, I'm just, I'm gonna pick the easy way. How many times have you guys heard just somebody say, yeah, I, I believe in, in that kind of God stuff, but you know, maybe in a few years from now, I'll, I'll, I'll get my life together and, and, uh, and give my life to God. Right now, I'm just having too much fun. Our God is unbreakable. Our God glorifies, we see here that he glorifies himself even when his people wouldn't. Even when Israel had turned their back on God, had walked away from God, wasn't walking with God any longer, wasn't trusting in God's plan for their lives. We see that our God is able to glorify himself. Our God demands worship. Our God desires worship. And he proved that he's greater than any other God or idol. Even when, even when we're not here to say that for him, he's able to get that done for himself. But we have that same option as the Philistine priest, right? Whatever our statue looks like, whether it's money or status, politics, uh, alcohol, drugs, social media, porn, whatever your idol is, God's able to knock that down. God wants to knock that down. Maybe God has knocked that down for you. Whatever that statue in your heart looks like, It's that statue that's keeping you separated from experiencing the full goodness and glory of, of what God has for you. And we can choose to just continue to pick up the broken pieces of whatever idol is in our life. Pick him back up. Or we can choose to just let God be the center of our hearts. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we see that our God has power over, over false gods and over idols. In this story and in our lives, God's, God's got that power. We just need to trust in him. We need to put our trust in him and our faith in him. Point number two, if you're a note taker, we're gonna see uh, starting in verse six that he's got authority over those who oppose him. Verse six, it says, but the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the man of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark, of, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon our God. Therefore he sent and gathered themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, 
what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. So it was after they carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. Therefore, they sent the ark of the God to Ekron. So it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered all of the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to the heaven. Do you guys notice how many times it says hand of God and that God was acting here. When you see the, the words, the hand of God in the Bible, that means God's taking action. <clears throat> and we've already seen God knock down this, this daggone uh, fake God twice now. And, and the Philistines, uh, they're still rejecting him. They're still opposing him. They've chosen to just lift their daggone statue back up and, and, and reject the power of God. But we're going to see here that, or we see here that God still has authority over them because our God is greater. God was trying to send the Philistines a message through toppling their, uh, their God, and they just weren't receiving it. Their ears were not receptive to that message. And, and it's just like our God sometimes when that message uh, comes to us, God finds a different way to give us that message sometimes, right? When we're not willing to listen to him the first time, God's got a way sometimes of just saying, I need you to hear this. This is important. In this case, uh, God strikes them uh, with what our translation calls tumors. Other translations, they call them hemorrhoids. Uh, what's interesting to me, that they're not mentioned here, but we find out in just a few verses that uh, there were rats involved that were ravaging their crops, that were ravaging their land. And you can look up different Bible scholars and, and people have different theories about what this disease actually was or uh, wasn't a lot of people think maybe because the rats were involved that it could have been the bubonic plague. Um, there's some pretty interesting evidence that popped up, and I'm not telling this story just because it's gross or whatever, but it's a gross story. So, <laughs> um, but I think it matters to, I think it matters to what God does here. And and again, I said everything God does here is so calculated that this. This does line up, but there's some pretty good evidence that's popped up in the last 15 to 20 years um, as they've discovered things in Ashdod. They've been doing a lot of like mining of, of Ashdod and uncovering of artifacts and 
scrolls and everything, uh, there's some pretty good evidence to suggest that this disease that God brought on the Philistines uh, was a was of sexual nature, some sort of in uh, sort of disease that made people infertile. I'm gonna stop there. I mean, I could go into there's kids in the room. You guys get the picture, right? But I want you to think about that because that's an irrelevant thing unless you think about Dagon and think about what Dagon represented to them, infertility. And you see God kind of take the two things that Dagon's supposed to represent to them, the two things that that Dagon's supposed to be blessing them at. And, and, and God says, well, I'm gonna send rats and, and I'm gonna make you infertile. And again, I, I don't know for sure. That's, that's just another people's theory. It could be something else, but I think that makes a lot of sense because you just keep looking at uh, these calculated things that God does. And, and it makes sense to me that, that God would just put Dagon right in his Dagon place. And and to and just go, look this this Dagon guy he he does nothing for you. I knocked I knocked him down twice. I broke him, and now I'm going to affect the crops and the in, the fertileness of your people because Dagon's got no power over me. But we just see the Philistines continue to oppose God. And we see them take the Ark of the Covenant and, and the first city goes, well, I don't want it here, man. It's, it's killing us. It's destroying our crops. And at first they thought, maybe it's just our city. Let's just move it to another city. Maybe he just, you know, maybe the Ark just doesn't find favor with our city. So they move it over to another city. Same thing happens. Eventually the Philistines just get into this game of arc hot potato where they're just like, I don't want it. Well, I don't want it. I don't know. Send it over to this city. And they go, were you trying to kill me? I don't want that thing here. And they just play this game where it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Let's send it back to where it came from. <laughs> send it away. Get it out of here. We don't want anything to do with it. And you just kind of see God's message kind of coming through there, right? They're beginning to maybe acknowledge a little bit, man, this God does have power. They're just still kind of unwilling to just go the distance and, and, and denounce their God. But even at the end, you guys see right at the end, it says a cry of, of the city went up to heaven in desperate straits, the Philistines prayed to our God. The Philistines prayed to the Israelites' God. That God that's greater than, why didn't they pray to their God if he was so good? They, were, they, they realized they were just unwilling. Again, picking that easy route. I don't know what's easy about tumors and rats destroying your fields, but... They oppose God and, and, and we're going to see that, yeah, they, uh, 
God did have authority over the situation. God was in control this whole time. And God often just does show authority over those who oppose him, even if they don't see it, even if they want to turn a blind eye to it and, and blame something else and go, well, yeah, you know, it, it could be God, but, you know, I don't have a lot of evidence to prove that. So, you know, I'm going to blame something else for my problems. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, and I want you to see that God is doing this with the Philistines, but he didn't do it with Israel. And I think the difference there is that Israel, Israel screwed up, but Israel was still willing. Uh, Israel still knew that God was their God. They just, they were just not walking with God, but they weren't rejecting him. They weren't opposing him. And they were, we're going to find out in a later chapter that they're, they're pretty willing to <laughs> let God back in with open arms. And we're going to see now uh, as we just, we're going to jump into the first few verses here of chapter six, but we're just going to see the mercy and grace uh, that God has towards uh, Israel. It says, now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviner saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, if you send away the ark of the Lord of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed. And it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what, if the tr or what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats. That's a weird, uh, I, I just imagine the look on the Israelites' faces when this thing comes back to them with <laughs> tumor, like golden tumors and golden rats on it, not knowing what had just happened <laughs> with the Philistines. We're going to see it gets even uh, a little bit crazier. Um, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaohs hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did he not let the people go that they might depart? Now, therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart. And put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in the chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. 
But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened by chance. The Philistines decided, uh, they decided we don't want the ark anymore. Seven months is enough. Now they're having people die. They're experiencing failures. People are, I'm sure, starving. Uh, the people, it says the people who didn't get sick or the people who didn't die uh, had these tumors, had this sickness. And so they're saying, okay, we're gonna return the ark. We're ready. Let's, let's just give it back to Israel. Let's be done with it before it just it wipes us all out. But we see here that the Philistines uh, decided that they had still not fully gotten the picture and, and that they needed to test to see if uh, the judgment was from God or, or if all of this had just happened by chance. God showed the Israelites uh, mercy and grace, not only by dealing with the Philistines in this way, by dealing with their enemies in, in a way that they didn't even understand, but they returned the ark. We're going to see later that these cows, they, they hook up these cows. They make this cart. They take the calves away. And by all odds, these cows make it back to, to Israel. And again, I just wonder about the uh, Israelites' faces as the ark of the covenant just comes strolling in on a, on a cart with two cows and some golden rats on it. Like, oh, there it is. That's how easy, though, it is sometimes with God to just, when we think, when we're in crisis mode, we talked about being in crisis mode last week and how sometimes God just allows that. But just as easy as we get into that situation, God can just make all these obstacles, the crises uh, go away without us even uh, knowing what's going on or without us even putting in any effort sometimes. And sometimes it takes effort. <laughs> but the Israelites in a lot of ways turned their back on God and, and probably should have had the same treatment that the Philistines got. God doesn't owe anybody anything. And the people of God turn their back on God. And God shows them mercy and grace. God says, I haven't departed you. I've been here the whole time. I've been working in the background. You didn't even know it. And here, let me just make it easy on you. And just, I'm going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to you. And here's some like gold trinkets from your enemies. And by the way, their crops are dying and, and they've got disease and a bunch of them died. I, I did that for you. That's the kind of God that we serve though. The God that just is ready to fight our battles for us. When we don't have to lift a finger sometimes. The Israelites tried so hard in the last chapter to force things, to do things without God when all they had to do was rely on God 
And in the end, even when they didn't rely on God, God was still good to them. God still showed them mercy. God had not departed them. <clears throat> so while I close here, I just, I want us to just take a look at what happens to, to Dagon when the true God is introduced. Uh, we see that Dagon just crumbles. And we see that that same thing happens to us if, if the temple of Dagon is, is, a, is our heart. And again, I talked about these idols. We all have our own Dagon in our, in our heart. Well, if we allow Jesus, Jesus Christ to come in and enter our heart, Christ has the power to knock down these things, keeping us from a life rooted in joy, from a life rooted in peace, because um, those things can only come from a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. Not a relationship in superstitions, not a relationship in rituals, but a relationship with Jesus. The Philistines resetting the statue represents this battle that we fight every day between sin and grace. Where Jesus comes in and, and breaks down this statue, breaks down this idol, breaks down whatever it is that's holding us back. And we just go back to building up our, our Dagon statue. That's sin in our lives. But if we just focus on Jesus and, and continue to repent from our sins, Jesus will continue to knock down that statue every time. It doesn't matter how many times it takes. Jesus will continue to knock that thing down, get it out of there, break it down into pieces. It never quite goes away though, right? Even in our... Even in our scripture, it says the torso remained. But friends, let me just remind you this morning that that should serve as a reminder that we're never free from that temptation. We're never free and just free from sin. It's, it, the temptation's always there. We're always gonna screw up. We're always gonna sin. It's in our lives. The best thing we can do, do, though, is continue to just ask God to forgive us. Continue to repent from our sins, to turn away from those sins and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I screwed up. Please forgive me. And eventually, if we continue to just keep our hearts and eyes focused on Jesus, focused on the Bible, the word of God, a relationship in Jesus rooted in prayer, rooted in worship, rooted in putting God first, then those things can remain at least broken. Those things can remain in a position where they don't have power over you. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna invite my prayer team up. 
maybe uh, Larry, if you want to come up and just be on the prayer team, and Darren and Heather. But I'm just going to invite you guys as we worship this last song, or, or maybe even after worship, come up and get some prayer. If there's things just holding you down, if you feel like God has left you, if you feel like there's something, there's a, a Dagon statue in your in your heart that you just can't get past. You just don't feel worthy. Like, oh, you know, Jesus has knocked this statue down so many times for me. And I continue to just build it back up. And I don't know. I just don't know if God even wants to break that down anymore. I'm here to tell you that he does. So I invite you to come up and, and, and receive prayer. Come get, uh, come get prayer. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to one of us. Life is better with Jesus. Life is better when Jesus is at the center of your heart, the true God, and not some God that crumbles.